Righto, let's get started. Um, I was saying to a few of the guys that were in here in time, early on time, most guys, leaders, don't like their people to drift in late, but they keep drifting in late. And uh, I reckon we need to example what it means to be on time. Now, I'm saying that for a particular reason, not because some people came and went, well, you're not really late now. But don't fall into the trap of punishing the people who get there on time in your church while you do other things to accommodate the people who come 20 minutes late. It's amazing to me. I, I see in our own church and churches I've pastored, some people still come drifting in half an hour, three quarters of an hour late, and it's just become a lifestyle. We've got to pray that God will change all of that, really. Make people enthusiastic. And uh, I always say, if I was given the opportunity to speak to even a president or prime minister I had no time for, I would be there on time. Even if I didn't like them, didn't agree with their pol political stances, I'd still be there on time. One out of respect, because I believe... Being on time is, is a respect word, a respect principle, a respect lifestyle, respecting others, but also because of who they are. And when we're meeting Jesus, he's above every prince, president, prime minister, dictator, despot, whatever else we may have. <clears throat> he's above them all. So teach our people, we need to teach our people that. Now, a few things that I want to just say this morning. I've been looking at this. Deuteronomy 1, I wanted to read all 30, I think 36 verses, but I'm going to try and incorporate some of that in what I say because I've lost so much of what I wanted time-wise, so if you just bear with me, I'm going to jump around and not just be like it's this one clear thread, and uh, maybe I can just help you with this one little thing I want to say now that's not related to there, but what I'm doing. When you, when you learn, when you study hermeneutics and homiletics, especially homiletics, you, you're told you need to have an introduction, three points, few illustrations in a, on every point, and then you need to land it with a conclusion. And that's taught as Bible. My challenge to you is to go home and try to find Jesus preach a three-point sermon. <laughs> you just won't find it. I'll challenge you to find anyone in the Bible who preached a three-point sermon. It's just not in the Bible. So while it can be semi-helpful, it can also be semi-problematic. We've got to just as I said in the first session at the beginning, pick up what God's doing and go with it. So I'm going to jump around a bit, but you'll see when you look back, there actually was a common thread. We were going somewhere, but I'm trying to pick up and move all over the place. So I want to challenge you, before I get into this, read the book of Acts, because it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It tells you seriously when we talk about the presence of God, what we actually should be trying to teach the people and ask God to be doing in our midst. We've got to enlarge 
these little things we've restricted, our theologies too. They're bigger than that. And so from Acts 1 right through to the last chapter, you'll see all the things that are the proof of the presence of God in our midst. People getting saved, shadows falling on people, people living victoriously in persecution, all these misunderstandings, whatever it is, all of that is the acts of the Holy Spirit working in and through His church. Every part of that is the presence of God. And when you're limited to one or two things, signs, wonders, miracles, falling under the power, anything, when you're restricted to that, you're leaving out heaps. Now let me ask you to follow with me in what I want to say now. The church that Jesus is building is a whole lot of, or can I say a number, but it's a good number of different things all at the same time, different expressions, different faces, different dynamics. The church that Jesus is building, not what we are building, by and large, what Jesus is building. And he said in Matthew 6, the church, Matthew 18, the church that I'm building, the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. No cough, no sneeze, nothing can prevail against the church that Jesus is building. Please understand that it has so many different faces, facets, expressions, and he's never ever building just one part and then another part and then two parts together. He's building every expression all the time, simultaneously everywhere. If we're building with him, so are we. If we're not building with him, we're building certain expressions and majoring them. It's not the church that Jesus is building. And that's why we so often come unglued. Our churches just keep growing and falling apart, growing and falling apart. People just get miffed and moved out just for nothing. Now, I can understand that when people want to resist the truth, they leave. Or if you're not doing what you should be doing, they also leave. But people just leave for nothing. It's like you better do what I want and entertain me, otherwise you won't see me again. And that's not the church that Jesus is building. He just said, I'm gonna, even though I'm going to weep over this, you don't, goodbye. You won't do what I'm telling you. I don't want you to go, but goodbye. Now, to try and illustrate this, let's take the Old Testament, so-called dwelling place of God, the tabernacle and then the temple. The tabernacle and the temple, both of them, had three different parts. There was the outer court. And you had to come through the entrance. And we know that Jesus is all of this. But we need to try and get what I'm trying to say. There was the outer court. You come through the entrance, and in the air you get to the outer court, and there you have the uh, brazen altar, which was like a mirror. And then you move on and you get to the next section called the holy place. And there were three articles in there, three, you know, articles, whatever you, want, whatever you want to call them, three things in there. There was the showbread, the lampstand, and there was the altar of incense. And Jesus is all of that. 
He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. And he's the intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And then you go and you get the third part. And you have to go through this curtain. And only one person was allowed in there. And that was the high, the, the high priest. And only once a year. Now in the outer court, all the, any of the people of God could go in there. But there were certain groups the priests could go into the next part and then the high priest in the third part. And there was the Ark of the Covenant with the uh, mercy seat. Jesus is the Ark and he is the mercy seat. He's the propitiation for our sins and not ours alone, but the sins of the whole world. You've got all three of these. Now, some people have picked on, if we took that into a New Testament context, just the way we build church, but stick with this that I'm talking about, the tabernacle and the temple, some people like the bread of life, the showbread. So they honor about Jesus as the bread, the feeder, the one who looks up, and some have taken that, and then they get involved in social ministry, feeding the poor, etc. And others, Jesus is the light of the world. And so we're going to get out there and we're going to let our light shine and we, whatever that may mean. And others will, will take it and say, well, this intercession, so we have our prayer places of, that we just, we just intercessors, houses of prayer and all sorts of stuff. And you know that all three of those things are absolutely valid. And then there are others who want to go into the holiest of holies, but they don't want to go through the entrance, past the, each thing to get there. Now, by and large, the, that, in, that holy place, the holiest of holy place, the most holy, really is the throne room of God in a New Testament context. We now, through Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, we can come boldly before the throne of grace anytime we have any need and Jesus has done it all for us, and it's all available for us. But you can't just do what you want. You, now, if you were part of being with Moses or when David, through Solomon, built, built a temple, you couldn't just say, well, look, I'll tell you what. I can see that God's given us this plan that we need, a, we need the outer court and we need an entrance, but, but I'm not interested in that. I just want to build one of these. You could not do that. You had to build the whole lot, to have what God wants. Now, take that to the New Testament, and some of us are saying, well, I just want certain things. We're going to be a worship church. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to be an evangelistic church. We're going to be a church planting church. We're going to be a, we're going to, we've got to look at all the faces of the New Testament, expressions of the life of Christ, and build all of them simultaneously if we want to build the church that Jesus is building to be co-laborers together with him. Now, please let me clear up something. When we say Jesus is building the church, it's his problem. That's not true, and it is true. He is building it, but he has invited us to be co-laborers together with him. And so one of the problems the church is facing massively across the earth today is that we have separated between the body and the head. And the body has become irrelevant. 
and the head is all that it's about. You, a head, you look at this beautiful, brilliant, handsome face here, without a body, it would be useless. Or look at this muscular, massive, without a head, both would be impotent in terms of what they could do on earth. There's got to be the body and the head. So stop blaming Jesus for why your church is such a mess. Because if you're saying Jesus is building the church and this is all he can build, what on earth is wrong with him? Come on now. Now I'm saying that carefully because I don't ever want to be blasphemous. But I'm trying to make a point. God knows I fear him. I know that the church doesn't fear him because perfect love casts out fear. None of us is made perfect yet and none of us is in the perfect love of God all the time. And the, Paul writes about knowing therefore the terror of the Lord in the new covenant. I don't know whether those Bible verses should just be scrapped. By the way, the church keeps telling us there's no fear of God because most of it is all awe. But there still needs to be a fear. I'm dealing with God. And while he's my father, he's also God, whose name is Jealous. Now, don't get me wrong on this. I'm not talking about everybody should be walking around cringing. That's gone. But there still has to be something that is beyond just respect. Not disrespect, just respect. Are you with me? Just, it's more than just reverence. If we truly revere, there will be an awe. And I feel like there's very little fear of God in the church anymore. What do you mean by that, Dudley? Well, if we really believe that two, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there, if we really honestly believe that, we wouldn't be texting when they worship, quote, worshiping. We wouldn't be talking to our buddies about the football match or the rugby match or the whatever, all these things that have, could be part of the past. Come on now. Have we got so buddy-wise with Jesus, how, would, how do you think I would feel if you all started just talking to each other and ignoring me? And I'm just Dudley and nobody. I, I would feel that's absolutely disrespectful. I can understand you doing it because I'm just Dudley. But when it's God... I want these things to sink in, guys. This is not stuff I haven't said before, others aren't saying, but it's just not getting through. So hence the pauses. There's just no fear of God. Let me just take it a little further. Steve didn't talk nicely to me on the phone the other day when, he called, when I called him, or he called me. I can't remember which way it went. He did, but I'm making up the story. This is hypothetical. 
So he wasn't kind. So when I get to you guys, I think, hmm. And I just start telling you all sorts of stuff about Steve, even if it's true. There's just no fear of God, like there's no accountability. Like I can do and say what I like. How, what have you guys said about other people in the last two weeks? It tells you how much you fear God. We just talk about people like, like there's no accountability. God, Jesus said this. Every idle word that man shall utter, he will one day have to give an account for. Not a most, every. What you speak in secret, God will make known. Now, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to show you, folk. Once again, just stop for a moment and think about your own life and the church's life. What goes on on a Sunday when we're supposed to be so-called worshiping God? Just think about it. Kids can scream, and the mother doesn't even try and say, well, look, I'll just try and take them out for them. I understand. God understands. He made kids with a scream to attract attention. Now, most of their scream, because once they have a need, they start to scream. Then they find out, I don't even have to have a need, a legitimate one. I just want to be noticed. I want to be the center of attraction. So they scream. God made them with a scream. But a mother that respects God says, I'll try to do something so that God's people can concentrate and enjoy being with God. Are you there? See, we've drifted. <clears throat> All right, so when we talk about the church that Jesus is building, that I'm hoping some of us, all of us, hopefully, will say, whoa, I've left out a whole lot, that we'll all start to build with him all parts at the same time. That's why, you see, take Dudley Daniel. I have certain gifting. Others have some other giftings. I may have two talents. Others may have five, tal five talents. And others may only have one. But we're all gifted by God and we've got to walk in what God has given us. Now, if I, Dudley, think that everything is going to come through me, I'm, I'm, an, I'm living in an, an illusional life. It's not reality. He, it's all of us together. It's all of us together. Without team, we'll never get the full expression. When we talk about church, before I get onto these expressions, I want to just say this. There are four expressions that are not the expressions I'm talking about that Jesus is building, but four things we need to understand about when we talk, use the word church, what it includes. First of all, it's local church. When we use the word church, it means the ecclesia, the, the local church. Now, without being funny, and I know that this can't work right now, and, I'm, and I believe that it has to work before Jesus comes back. But when God looks at Adelaide, 
He either sees one church or maybe three or four, depending on what he sees as a city size biblically. What we call church, local church, is actually just one of the congregations within the local church. The local church in Adelaide is made up of Baptists, all the Pentecostal, Charismatic, Methodists, Anglicans, Un- whatever they are. God looks down and that's his local church. That's the local church with different congregations and some of them meet as Kingdom Life and others meet as the Baptists and those are just really, now that's the ideal which is actually from heaven's point of view, the real. But our point of view, the real is where we're living now, moving to the real, that's the ideal. Does that make sense? That's where God's trying to get the church. Because I'm hoping I can get back to you, but I'm scared I'm not going to. Not scared, but you know what I'm trying to say. Where God's people, brethren, dwell together in unity, that's the only place where God can command blessing, life. And while it isn't using this word Zoe, it is God life. Life eternal, life forevermore. When the church comes into unity, and that's what God's trying to do, is bring the church, local church, to unity. Now, not where we all see everything eye to eye, where all of us have enough humility to surrender our preferences and prejudices and preconceived ideas, etc., and say we're not going to fight for them, we're not going to criticize others who don't see it quite our way. We've got to get beyond, and God's trying to bring us to local church. But now, having got that out of the way, let me just talk about what you and I call local church today, not what God calls it. All right. When we talk about church, we're talking about local church, the church you are part of. And the local church, every local church, should be involved in God's call and God's ministry, God's mission. And they need to be involved in it all the time. And then God's call and God's mission is this, go into all the world preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, command them to obey everything I've commanded, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then he says, I'll be with you always. Now that's God's mission for every local church as we see it. That means that you and your local church cannot say, we're not going to be involved in the whole world. Twenty years ago, or maybe more, I remember saying this where Steve Barr was one of the elders in the church in the States when I was once visiting them before I moved to live there. If you call yourself community church, get rid of the name community. You're giving the wrong message. And as a result of that, you guys changed the name from chapel to something else. This is, I'm trying to say, this is from years back. So every local church needs to be involved in its community, in its own country. Everyone 
you South Africans, you Americans, Canadians, Australians, whatever. Your local church needs to be involved in its community, but in its country. And then thirdly, I mean, it's community, it's city, and then it's country. The country you live in, and then the countries, the nations of the world. Every one of us. Every local church. Do you get that? If it's less than that, we are not a Bible local church, and we're not part of the church that Jesus is building. Jesus' command and commission is all nations. Even when you pray, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Your prayer meeting should be involved in praying for your community, for your city, for your country, and the countries of the world. Now that can, the emphasis and the, the amount of time spent on each of these can change in each prayer meeting or prayer time or whatever, but, but get that. So many have lost that. There's hardly a church from the way back past anywhere in the world that started off with just being a little community church. It just shrank. They drifted from the main flow of the river to the sides and got caught up in their little, our little community. And it's not even the community anymore that, that um, what's the word? We're, we're just the suburbs we live in, our community just becomes us. Just us who meet in this little building every Sunday or this little hall or little school or in this house or whatever the place may, case may be. So that's the first one. It's the local church whose call and ministry must always include Matthew 20, 20, uh, 28. Then the second is, if we're going to be building the church Jesus is building, it's not only the local church, it's then the city church. Or let me put it this way, rather than spell it all out again, we move from local to translocal. Now the city church, the local church, which should be a city church, cannot reach the nations unless it's the way God wants it to, where it works, unless we're involved in translocal ministry. The whole church involved in the translocal church. Are you getting this? So what some guys are now doing that have caught a little bit of that are saying, all right, well, our little church will start going to the nations, but we'll do it so we get all the credit. We won't do it with anyone else. We'll do it selfishly. We'll even start to give for the translocal, but the translocal only as our church does it. So the finances just go into their team that goes to some countries occasionally. Instead of seeing God never intended it ever to be just your little church, your church walking, working with other churches. And that's what translocal ministry is about. Bringing the wider ramifications of that translocal ministry worldwide into a, giving it a focal point. So to me, and this is what I've tried to live in when I pastor churches, is to try and involve all the people, every person in the local church, in all that we're doing around the world. Now, I just want to say things, and I was saying to somebody this morning, I think it was Rudy while we were just sitting and talking here, 
that I find it very difficult to, to use personal, uh, this I mean it. God knows that it's a problem of mine. It's not, it's, it's, it's not necessarily God's will. It's, it's a personal problem that I struggle with. I don't like to use personal illustrations because I'm so tired of so many people self-promoting. But sometimes you just say, you've got to make the point and I don't know how to make it. And so just please, if you ever, and I mean this with all my heart, if you ever feel I'm self-promoting, afterwards tell me that I can repent. Because God resists the proud. I don't want God to resist me ever. I mean that with, please, if I'm falling into this trap, tell me. Please, I beg you in the name of Jesus. I'm using his illustrations when I do have to because I don't know how better to do it. There may be better ways. I just haven't found them. But I have found that when we're going to go somewhere, this is in, even before New Covenant Ministries, when I was just a little pastor in, in, in a little Wesleyan church in Bridell and a little Wesleyan church in Durban, a Baptist church, Assemblies of God church pastor, whatever I was in the past, this is what I try to do to the degree that we knew how we could do it. I wanted every person to be involved in all that we were all doing together. And I never, ever, we had to always, this is without a single exception that I can ever remember. I wish there were more people here that had, well, there's people here who have been in the Coastlands Church when I was pastoring it that know this is true and they can stand up and say, you're exaggerating. And I, and I say, do it. Publicly do it. Rebuke me. We have had to say, we can't take any more people with us to that nation. It's full. We just had too many people saying, I want to go. Dudley, were you special? Of course not. You know that. Listen to me. You know. Look at me. Just one look at me and you've got to say, he's, no, he's just like the rest of us. In actual fact, not, not even as good as some of you in terms of looks and brilliance and whatever else. But God, when you do God's way, God does something. Not I, Dudley did it. God did something. Why? Because I just responded in faith. You see, faith without obedience is dead. It's no use saying, well, I'm going to believe all these people can come with, will go to the nations, and then not tell them and ask them to come with you and do it yourself. You know how hard it was for me to leave South Africa? I loved that place. I was in a church in, in those days, one of the richest parts of the nation, parts of the world. Money was never, the people loved us. The people just kept on saying, go more, go more, go more, never trying to hold on. And then God told me to go, to leave. I thought I'd go up to Swaziland or Malawi or Botswana, Zimbabwe, somewhere. God told me Australia. Never, I mean, I don't know that it ever crossed my mind. So listen to me, I'm saying, it's no use having faith for the nations and you won't go yourself and you won't let your people go. Now, I'm not saying that God's telling you leave. A whole lot of people would like to leave the country they're living and get anywhere, even if God didn't say it, but I'm not talking about that. But until you bring your church 
into the, what's happening translocally. You're not building the church Jesus is building. You can go on kidding yourself. But as you face Scripture, you'll know that you're not facing it honestly. Involve your people. I sometimes get embarrassed now that I'm 76 years old. Please just excuse these stories. I get embarrassed when I think of some of the people who went with us to different parts of the world, the age they went and how I treated them. Because man, I, if I showed you a picture of me, you wouldn't believe it's the same guy. I've got a photo that somebody that's out there took when I, they went on a, on a trip with us to South Africa, and I look at my legs, I look at my neck and my chest, and I look at my arm, and I think, goodness gracious, what happened to that guy? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I was pretty strong, pretty fit, pretty agile, whatever, and I made these old people not thinking, keep up with us. I think of some, we went through Hezekiah's tunnel on one visit, we were going to different nations, and here we are in this water, and it's this little dark passage, and, we, and the, I'm thinking of this little old granny, and I think, we made her keep up with us. I don't know how she, I'm, I'm telling God, listening to me, I think of it during the night, and I think, oh God, what was I doing? <laughs> it's, I mean, I hope that God wakes you up at night and makes you think, God, what am I doing to some of my people? <laughs> I'm just being very honest with you guys. But the point, the real point is this. It was hard to stop people. Because God, God honors his word. But he doesn't honor just parts of it while you deliberately exclude other parts. The church he's building is everything. Hang, we better get to that anyway. All right, so the translocal church is also involved in that same great commission, but in a different way. And then we think we've got to look at the third expression of that. It's not only the local church and the translocal church, but there's the individuals who, while we're not the church, we are living stones, bricks, not bricks as eight by fours or whatever these little things are, different shaped stones. And each one of us, every person who is a part of the body of Christ is to be involved in Matthew 28 in a different way to the way the local church, they've got a certain little contribution to make to the local church who's got a certain contribution to make to the translocal. I hope you're getting that. Your people have got to catch this. If we want the church to build the church, Jesus is building. Now you say, Dudley, I know all that. All right, if you do, is it happening? Because I'm telling you that by and large it can happen. I know it. And if it's not happening, it's not because of God. And it's more than likely not even because of most of the people in your church. It's because it's not being taught correctly. And then the fourth expression when we use the word or term church is the universal church. And that's past, present, and the future for as long as it takes before Jesus comes back. And I'm saying the past because there's so much we can learn from the past. How they did it. 
that we can learn to just ignore church history is to rob yourself to minimize what God wants to and could do if you would grasp what happened. Look at some of the stuff, the early days of Luther, Wesley, some of those early revivals, outpourings of the Spirit of God, Book of Acts. We've got so much we can learn. Okay, now, the Holy Spirit was using all of them, all these expressions, all at the same time, building what Jesus is building. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to, to spirit. Spirit life. So I'm going to just ask you to challenge you to read the book of Acts. Try and read it once a month. Or thereby. Not the law of the Medes and Persians. Recommendation. Read those apostolic pastoral epistles at least once a month. See how your life changes. If you stop, don't read it like one sitting. If you read it in one sitting, read it again. Until you get it. Stop and say, whoa, wait a minute, what? That's how I've tried to read the Bible. I'm finding it more difficult as I've got older because I, I concentrate for a little while and then I just can't think straight anymore and I get up and go for a walk and sit again. But when I was younger, I'd just sit there. Let that just get into my heart. God, I don't know how to do that. I see this. I don't know how to help us. Show us. Teach us. You know, a lot of God's revelation comes in the secret place. And Jesus actually spoke about the secret place. He said, when you pray, go in and lock the doors of your closet. And there in the secret place, God sees How much secret place have you got in your life per day? No laws of Medes and Persians. What could you not tarry for one hour, five hours? How much is enough? I don't know. I just put it in monetary terms. God gives me $1,000 a month, and I think, oh, I used to get 500 But it isn't long before you say, only 1000 How much is enough? How much prayer time is enough? I'm not talking about bringing guys into bondage, but when we just, day after day, we don't even spend any time alone with God and we're in leadership. It's bad enough as a Christian, but we're in leadership and we just haven't got time for God. See, that's part of what I believe is when God gives you fame, it's, a, it's harder to be faithful with those little things. You get too busy. You know that I got so busy that I had to, eventually, I got rid of my email, totally. I just could not take waking up in the morning, switching this thing on, pop, 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 and I'm talking about 20 years ago, this stuff was all new. I put up with it for years, and until eventually I just felt, God, this is actually robbing me of being who I'm supposed to be. Guys telling me their jokes from South Africa about this and that, and other guys telling me this, all this stuff. And then somewhere, you can't skip over that because suddenly some guy says, look, I'm desperate. 
don't know what to do. My marriage is falling apart. I'm in leadership. I've got this church of a thousand, five thousand, whatever. You, call, you know, I just thought, no, I've got to get rid of this email. Just shut it down. And now people say, can I have your email? And I have to say no. Somebody recently just said to me, can I have your email? And they sent me, they got my SMS. It's the same as an email to me anyway. Can I just have your email? And I had to say, I just thought, well, if I say no, I'm going to hurt them. So I ha- first time I've ever, that I can know, I, I just ignored it. Thought rather than hurt them, just let them come to the conclusion, I, I'm, I'm not happy. <laughs> if you, start, you, you see what I'm trying to say? You, you get so busy. Now, I'm not telling you to do it by ignoring people. It's the first time I know of. But this woman did give me an opportunity, and she said that if you say no, I understand, and I'll, I'll try and forgive you, ha, ha, ha. So I thought, well, rather than say no, just forgive me anyway. <laughs> I had to say to one of the guys in our own eldership, I think it was, if I remember rightly, well, maybe not in eldership. <laughs> anyway, this, this, it's this forgettery I've got here that you guys have still got to call to memory. <clears throat> But I had to say to this guy, I, I, I've had to get to the place where I know what God's called me to do and what I'm still able to still do and focus on that, even if some of the things that are important to me, I have to put aside for a while from time to time. Like even going to church on a Sunday, so-called going to church. We are the church, but you know what I'm talking about. That I've just, I think I know, there's a guy sitting in here who said that I told him this. <laughs> just suddenly I've remembered who it was. You just got to know what you can cope with. Now, don't say, well, that's my excuse. I'm not going to, to the meetings on a Sunday anymore. You guys aren't in the situation I'm in, health-wise, etc. I get exhausted quickly. I get about two hours sleep a night if I'm, if I'm fortunate. And that's been 40, 50 years. You're not in that position. But you've got to know what God's called you to do. Now, moving on quickly. The church of Jesus that Jesus is building is a whole lot of faces, expressions, etc., all at the same time. Right. So, here's a few of the things that we should be. The church Jesus is building. The Matthew 16, 18 church that Jesus is building. First of all, it's called the body of Christ. All of these things you know, but many of them you've forgotten. If you haven't forgotten here, you don't practice them. So you've forgotten them in the areas that it counts. Every part of that body, listen to me, every part of that body linked and functioning effectively. Now some of you have known me for years and seen me before and look at me today and you see this big scar here running down the side of my face. I had cancer in the face here. Too much sun. Talk about SUN worshippers. I had to have it cut out. And that was about a year and a half, or maybe I can't remember. Darren, correct me if I'm telling you. A year and a half, two years ago, something like that. And so there's whole, all inside here, there's parts of missing. They had to cut this and cut this, and they took my face and swung it. So some of what's here, I still have to shave up my nose now, up this side of my, the side of my nose, because it used to be part of what I shaved. 
it's not functioning so properly anymore. Something's missing. Inside me, I've got a liver. That's someone else's liver. I've had it now for 17 and a half years. I'm grateful to God I got it. But I've got to, certain things I've got to, that I've got to take to keep it there that it doesn't say I've had enough of you. Boom, you're not mine. Every part linked together, functioning effectively. That's what Jesus Christ wants his body to be, not the mess. Am I making sense? And of course, when we talk about that part, and we're still on the first part, the body of Christ, the body has got to have a head. And I've got all these scriptures that I can't even read to you, and I was hoping to, but Christ is the head. My body does not what my toes tell me. Some people in the body of Christ are telling us to do what the head isn't telling us to do. They're not telling us like I'm telling you, but they're telling you body language is even more strong sometimes than from the lips. <laughs> you know that I'm one of the biggest tithers in your church. <laughs> Keep that up. You won't see me along. <laughs> I changed my whole message. The head saying, people forgive me if you feel this applies to you, that I'm talking about you, I'm not. But I found that when I preach stories, and, people, and this is the big thing now the last four or five years, Jesus was a storyteller. Where did we get that from? When Jesus told a story, it was to illustrate a truth. He wasn't a storyteller, he was a king. And it didn't say, by, go out and tell stories. Preach the gospel. But if I tell a few stories, most people love it. And then I get back to the Bible and I get this resistance. I don't know if you get it. I've had it all my life, all my Christian life. As soon as I get back to the Word of God, there's resistance. And I was having that resistance where it was really getting me down. Every time I was asked to preach, I didn't want to preach in the end in that church because of this resistance. And I've, God spoke to me. God speaks to me from the Word of God very powerfully. Very powerfully. And it's somewhere in, in Jeremiah where it says something like this. Don't let, don't you let them change your words. You let your words change them. And I will then make you a, a bronze wall. I've got it written in the front of a, that I normally have in my Bible here. Well, I still do have it here, but I'm not going to look it up now. I've got those, some of these things that God has spoken. You see, what, are you trying, what am I trying to say? You're going to have to stick with the words, the Word of God, whether you get resistance or not. He's the head. And we do what he says, not what the people, not even the pastors that we go to preach in their churches if you're translocal. Not them. 
what he says. Can I just say this because there's some translocal team guys here. My, what I learned after some years when I was leading that team, try not to sit with the visionary pastor before your Sunday meetings because you're going to get a warped untruth, not because he's deliberately lying, but he's going to share with you what his frustrations, no matter how positive he tries to be. I want to meet with the, the, the visionary and his wife and the, the, the eldership and with their wives. I used to like their wives to be there too because I found that sometimes the wives have a better perspective of the truth of what's happening in the church than the elders alone because they've all each got their own perspective and these wives have said, I'm saying this in quotation marks mockingly, not mocking them, mocking, to show you, we think they're, just, they're so stupid, they're too stupid to know what's really happening. They know more than we know or think they know. And then get to the church. So when, when you've got to the church on Sunday, you preach what God's saying, not what's going to, and I hear these guys come and say, man, Dudley, you're, God wants you to know he's pleased with you. You're a great guy. And, and, and I'm sitting there saying, but my church isn't growing. And things aren't what they should be. And we're, and we're not really fruitful and effective. And this guy's telling me God's pleased with me. But it pleases me and it strokes me. And I feel my ego getting. And so I praise God. But when he's gone a few weeks later, I'm sitting there saying, hey, we had that guy and it cost us a lot of money, a lot of time. And look at us. Same old, same old. An occasional hmm or amen or something like that would be okay. <laughs> or aina if you're Afrikaans. If you can't say amen, say aina, oh, that hurt. <clears throat> but secondly, the church is God's dwelling place, His building, His temple. All of those have different expressions, but I'm just lumping them together, sake of time. But God's building, God's temple, God's dwelling place is a place through which he can receive worship and praise where he's the central focus. And God wants the church to get back to being his dwelling place together where he's the focus. So that if I in our church that I go to with Darren and the elders, when any of them are preaching or anyone else, when he's preaching, my focus is not on, well, I hope, I try not to. Sometimes I have to be honest and say, I haven't got it all right. I want to be honest with you because you don't either. But the focus shouldn't be on the man, but on God. God, these are your words. So when the man isn't preaching Bible, the whole Bible, it makes it so hard to focus on God. Are you listening? Now, I use Darren as an illustration just of the first part of that, not the second. In case any of you are saying, whoa, that was a bit of a side swipe. But I think I could go to any of the churches and say, hey, to some degree, somewhere in that, and you could have come to churches I passed, somewhere in that, the focus was no longer me being able to just focus on Jesus. But we've got to help people to understand when we come together, when we do this thing we call worship, and for me, worship isn't music. Worship isn't singing. Worship is a lifestyle. 
You guys should be worshiping God right now. We haven't got a musician yet. Well, we do have musicians, but no musical instruments. You should be worshiping. Wow, God. Wow, you're awesome. Wow, wow, wow. But let's just go back to what we call worship. Well, I don't, but most people call worship. There shouldn't be distractions. You know, there's a word in the Bible that live in harmony. Harmony is a musical expression. It's when no one instrument is being outplaying the other. And that's how it should be. Not only with the musicians as their musical, but the people. Even the one called the leader. We, well, I don't, but people call him the worship leader. If the leader sticks out all the time, and as the big supreme one, the focus is not on him. And even when, you know, I, I don't like these, I like bass, but I don't like heavy, boom, 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 boom. I can't take it anymore. Just what goes on in my mind and my, my ears here. But, but, but just take a bass player. That, that is such a beautiful instrument. I don't know why bass players have all got this, they've learned this look. It's cool, man. Man, we, we need to be joyful, not cool. And they tell me, I don't know much about music. If I were to try and sing, you would just know. You don't know, not, not much, you don't know anything. It's not a musical instrument I can play, not even the gramophone, the recorder, nothing. But they tell me that a bass, basically the bass is the most important instrument for music, very often, for whatever else is going on around. Well, surely if that is true, get the, you know, I'm getting carried away, just get joyful. Get, at least just put a smile on your face. All right, thirdly, and I've got these scriptures I wish that I could give you. The Bible, the, Bible, the church Jesus building is a priesthood. These are words taken from the scriptures. The priesthood of all believers. Most pastors believe in the priesthood, but not of all believers. They know it, but they don't practice it. So they don't know it. Of all believers. One man doing all the preaching all the time and all the commanding of everything that happens. I come up to the front and I say, if he's the leader, bro, do you mind if I, hold on, I have to check it out with whoever you are. You know why we have to check it out? Now, I understand in big tens of thousands and 6,000 or 5,000 people in these conferences when you've got all sorts of people you don't know in there, but I want to tell you, if you start correcting people who don't, who prophesy junk, very soon the junk prophesies will stop prophesying. And we won't have to say, check it out. Now you say, how can you say junk prophesying? Well, when you say God says and God didn't, there's something really seriously wrong with that. 
And I want to say to you, over the last 10 years or so, most of the stuff that I hear is called prophecy. Is, it's just ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. Somebody telling you some little story about themselves and how they feel, and it's supposed to be called prophecy. Oh, God just spoke to us. Praise God. I just think, oh, God, what are we sowing? What are we sowing here? It's better to stand up and say, lady, thanks for that. It wasn't a prophetic word, but we appreciate you made some contribution. But to stand up and say, God just said. Whew. See, there's just no more fear in the prophetic. I sometimes wonder, I'm just picking up these, South Africa used to say we're picking up stompies. It's <clears throat> picking up little bits and pieces of <laughs> just, <clears throat> no, look, I'm going to move on. All right, priesthood of all believers. What do what a, what a priests do? They offer sacrifices. And you know that the priesthood of all believers is not a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept that the Old Testament people of God would not respond to, so eventually he had to pick out the Levites, and out of the Levites, he was able to pick out priests. But let me just read it to you. Exodus 19. You can look it up for yourself. Exodus 19.6. Isaiah 61.6. Read it for yourself. That God always wanted all of these people to be priests. In the Old Testament. Old Covenant. And they wouldn't let it. So they have developed a priesthood. Now... When you get into the book of Revelation in the second and third chapters when it's talking about all those different churches to the church at, one of them it says, I hate those, the Nicolaitans. Or Nicolaitans, some people would say. There's a group mentioned twice in those six, whatever number of seven churches there. And they try to find a group historically called Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans, and they can't. And then they realize it's made up of two words. One is nikos, and the other one is laos. And nikos is those that dominate. Clergy. And laos is the laity, the dominated ones. I hate them. And so we've got priests now in the new covenant when we all should be priests, and there's a certain group called themselves, they're the pastors, the leaders, and they dominate. They control everything. And there's no room for other priests to bring the sacrifices of praise and whatever else, even just take our music today, you try and start a chorus in most churches around today. You try to sing a song, you wouldn't have a chance. Dudley, are you picking on us? Of course I'm not. I'm just telling you what's happening and what God wants to happen. That's all. How do you tell if we don't say this is what we do? as opposed to what we're supposed to do. Now you're saying, Dudley, everybody can just do what they like. Not at all. I jump up and I start saying, you know, God says there's not enough love in this place because I'm feeling unloved. 
So Darren jumps up because he's the leader of the church I'm in, and he says, whoa, wait a minute, that's not God, that's Dudley's feelings. You know how the next time I feel like I want to jump up and say, because I'm not feeling loved and you're not giving me enough attention, do it two or three times and I'll never do it again. We don't just let everybody do what they like, but we make room. And I'll tell you how you've got to start it, guys, because we're so stuck in this thing now. You as the visionary have to start letting your own leadership have a lot more opportunities to minister without saying, do you mind if I say this? Give me permission, sir. Knowing that even though I'm one of the elders and I... That if I was wrong, and I'm not this in, the, in our church, but I'm going to use it if Darren knows I'm not talking about it. But if I was one of the elders in Darren's church and I jump up and I put my, play my part and it's not God, Darren would say, well, let's just think about that for a moment. Let's just, and he gently, graciously, first three or four times that I mess up, he might just try and guide us back to where God, what God was last saying. But we've got to start making room and stop ordering your elders around. Hey, bro, Ronnie, will you just jump up there and fix that up? And you, can you run out there and do this? And Steve, you go. Instead of that, just say, hey, this needs to be done. Is there someone who could just quickly get it done? Or sidle up to them and say, would you mind? Now, it would be hard for them to say no. I know, but it, I think there's just something being re released in God when we start doing it where we're not trying to be the boss. Now, at the same time, I know that God does give one that place where they lead the team. They don't own the team. I'll never get to this kind of... i just say that we are not to be eldership-controlled churches. We are eldership-led. Not eldership-controlled. We must be God-controlled, spirit-controlled. The Bible only talks about being controlled by the Spirit. And even that, listen to me, when the Holy Spirit controls, He doesn't just say, stand up and do, and I just go, and He takes over. He says the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Are you listening? Some people just get up and sprout stuff and say, well, God told me to do it. I just couldn't help myself. Well, I know something of what that feels like, but it's not the truth that I could not help myself. Not, certainly not by the inspiration of God. I know that the times when I think I've had enough, I'll never preach again. It isn't but a few days and I feel like it's like burning inside of me. I've got to, I can't keep it in. So I know that there can be where you're feeling like, hey, but I can still say no. And that's why I personally believe every person in the world, God wants everyone to be saved. Every. I believe the scriptures. Everyone. And yet most will never. Not because God doesn't want. Because they don't want. And God wants all of us as priests to be doing things, but not all of us will respond. But when they do, give, make some room. Anyway, I hope I'm not boring you with that stuff. All right. But a priesthood is where we can offer pr pr praises, prayer, whatever else may be. And then also, 
through the priest, God could build up his church, his people, through the priesthood. And that's why he talks about, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, 15 and 16 too to some extent, but just picking up in the 14th, 12th and 14th chapters about the, the gifts of the Spirit and all the different ministries that take place in Romans 12, etc. All of these must be done. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecies, healings, etc., etc. All, all of these must be, should be done. But why aren't they being done? If it's God who gives to this man this and that one that and that, if they're not coming out, why not? Because we're not responding or because we're not making room for them. Now, the problem is here, to me, is that we've got so in the rut, the church, not us, us included, but the church. It's, it's going to take some time to undo all of that. So I always say leaders need to learn to unlearn. And then relearn for themselves and then teach the people to learn how to unlearn what we've done, set in motion, what we take as this is church, and then to teach them how to relearn. And the only way that I can see that we can teach them to relearn is to take them back to the Bible and entrust the Holy Spirit to work. It's no use just taking them back to the Bible. You've got to have the, where you're trusting the Holy Spirit. If you think by my words, my preaching, I can change that, you're going to miss it. It's where you let the Holy Spirit through you work into them and through them. And just as it's taken some of us, some of us have been in ministry here, take me 55, nearly 54, 55 years. It took a long time for God to teach me the stuff that I had to unlearn. So it might take some time for your people. Hopefully never, as long as it took God with me. But we're living in present truth. And in present truth, God's speeding up things. Now, not new truth, present truth. Things that God is bringing about, impacting us with today. And he can, you know, to the degree that we're sold out to God and our people are, to that degree can God bring maturity. Timothy, Titus, these guys were kids, young, kids in Christ. Like that, they bypass so many people who've been on the road for donkey's years. I've watched some of my grandchildren, my own sons, bypass me. I was in ministry before they were born. Literally, I mean it, Literally. Just bow, just get committed, reach out in faith and do what God says. And he'll just speed up that maturity process, change all these things quickly. We'll teach our people. You see, while I'm talking about that, I believe faith is being stirred in some people's hearts. Not because I'm saying, because God's taking words of truth and stirring things up. And so God takes truth and he, by the Spirit of God, he energizes it. He just takes these feeble words, sometimes stuttered and stammered. He takes these feeble words, the words of a donkey, and he speaks to a prophet. Empowering the words if they're his word. 
My words shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish what I have purposed it. No word of God is void of power. No word of God. Word of Dudley. Word of God. Dudley with the word of God. Dudley without the word of God. Put your name in front of Dudley. Or instead of Dudley. Same thing. And the Holy Spirit. Right, moving on. House of prayer. Another expression of the body of Christ. Another face. And a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. Mark eleven seventeen. Three little things quickly that I say about that and move on. If, I, if, if the church Jesus is building is part of what we're building, then it's going to be a church where all nations are prayed for. So I'll stop for a moment and just be naughty and I'll slap myself before I even say it. So you know I've been, I've been punished. <laughs> How much prayer for other nations in the last five prayer meetings you had in your church? Well, you say, well, it's just been more recent, you know. But seriously, when did you last pray for Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, Mongolia, Laos, North, South, East Korea, North or South Korea. Those of you who live elsewhere, how many times, how, how much prayer for the United States of America, Christianized country? It's no more Christian than most any other nation. It's got more Christians in it possibly than some nations, but it's not a Christian nation. It needs as much prayer as North Korea needs. When last did you pray for the states? Australia, Great Britain, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, East. I mean, I, I, I've got this list I can just memorize most of the countries because I pray for them almost every single day at the break of dawn. I pray for, what about Africa? Well, I, I pray for South Africa. What about Malawi, Mozambique, M M Mauritius, M Mogadishu, M Mali, you know, in, in, I, I just, Zimbabwe, Zambia, I've got them put in these little brackets, the Zs and the, or the Zs and the Ms and the Botswana, yeah, just go through them all. What about Israel? How, when last did you pray for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem? I don't care what your theology is, the end time, that country is still going to be a major component in what God does. Returning the house of the Lord. God's with you guys. Do we pray for these nations? Have I left some of you out? Tonga, some of the Pacific Islands, Canada. Oh, well, you've got to do that. I don't like. Who cares who you like? It's the country. And God says, pray for their leaders. How many of you even know when I say this name? Scott Morrison. How many even know who he is? He's, he's the Prime Minister of our country. You all know Donald Trump infamously. Oh, I'm against Donald Trump. I mean, Christians everywhere tell me I'm against Donald Trump. The fact of the matter is that God chose the man. And we're mixing up character with the calling of God. 
There are people who won't pray for me, and I can tell you now that there isn't a hair on my body, there isn't a pore, there isn't a chromosome, a gene, nothing in me that doesn't love God. People won't pray for me because they don't like me. Whether I like it or not, I'm still a leader in the body of Christ. Pray for your leaders. In the home, in the church, in the marketplace, in countries, at every level. I still have something in my Bible. I took it out this morning. I wish I hadn't. That I have, it's a little list I was given when Bill Clinton was just made president of the United States of America. And they gave out this little thing that you stick in your Bible on what to pray. All the names of Albright and all these different leaders in the different faiths. We should be praying for all these people, especially in our own countries, but elsewhere. Especially significant people. The Chinese prime minister or whatever, president, whatever he calls him, we should be praying for him. He's a very influential man. Man, I feel like I'm, I've got sidetracked. But anyway, I hope you got what I said there. So we do house of all nations to pray for all nations. Secondly, for all nations to be able to come and pray with us. Black, white, yellow, red. English, Afrikaans, Zulu, Kosa, whatever. French, Italian. No matter what we are. Everybody should be, willing, be welcome and be able to even pray in their own language. And I want to say... Man, people, sometimes I think people are praying in tongues and I'm just saying, amen, God, and they're praying in their language and I think it's time. Well, it is a tongue, but not the, the tongues I'm used to. We can agree with people even when we don't know what they're saying. I come from Africa. There's still, the, that stuff is in me. Every morning, you can go and ask my wife, and she comes out of her bedroom a few hours later, she comes out listening to music from Africa. I love it with that beat. Just offbeat, different to, to other music. I love it. I sing it. I am getting carried away. And then not only do we, for all nations to be prayed for, not only for all nations to pray with, but all nations welcomed, reached, even the ones living in our country that we talk about the invasions of these people. We live in South Africa, you're saying, what are these Zimbabweans and Malawians and Mozambicans and all? You live here, you're saying, well, all these Asians coming here, India, China, what's, what's going on here? We live in America, you say the same. What's going on? I say, man, I think partly, I know this isn't all truth, I think that why God's bringing so many nations to some of the, quote, end of quote soon, Christian, not really Christian, is because we didn't get there. So God says, well, if you want God, send them to you. I don't know that that's all truth, but you know what I'm trying to say. All things work together for good. Anyway, moving on quickly. The pillar of foundation of truth. What time do we break for lunch? 12.30. The church, another expression, another face, is the pillar and foundation of truth. The 1 Timothy 3.15 thing. Truth, righteousness, justice, mercy, etc. Another quick picture, expression, face, is the family of God. 
Church is the family of God. The church Jesus is building, it's his family. I no longer call you servants, I call you brothers. The household of faith. I beseech you, brethren. It's all this stuff is family. I tell you, when my brother and I were growing up, we were just the two boys in the family. We had some really serious differences. But it never, ever crossed either of our minds to say, you're not my brother. You're not my brother. I didn't like my dad. Right through my life, until I got saved, I had no time for my dad. We hardly ever spoke to each other. Right through, from, from my, as a baby. But we're family. You can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. So you know that guy who stole those people from you? Pastoring down the road from you? Still your family. One day you'll have to give an account to God for why he stole them. Because if they were yours, they're your inheritance. And he's claiming them as his. They belong to God ultimately, but some of them are your inheritance. I've seen that with churches being stolen. God's going out and saying, we started this, look at us. And I'm saying, whoa, we, we did that. In our togetherness. And you're making out like you did. One day they'll have to give an account to God. Why live in misery in the meantime? We're still family. I don't understand how God lets it happen, but then I don't understand how I can let happen some of the stuff that happened in my own home. Because I think the only way I could have stopped it was to actually make us all little robots. Clint, Clint, Tyron, and JD, little robots. I press the button, all stand. Press the next button, sit down. Brush your teeth. Go to school. Dress. Undress. And you see, God's got the same problem. The only way he can get us is to violate the free will he gave us. Unless we start responding to him. And when we begin to see family, the church that Jesus is building is family. We've got to sometimes leave it to the Father to sort it all out. I'm so tired of people saying, well, if you guys are so good, and I've had it happen even here in Adelaide, if you guys are so good, why did that church leave you? I, I could tell you what I think are some of the reasons, because one of the things is most people want to be the big boss and get all the credit. They can't take not being the big boss. But what's, what does it help? I think to myself, why do you ask me the question? What's wrong with you? <laughs> really, I mean, are you insane? <laughs> why, don't, why, why have you not been able to keep all your friends together right throughout your life? Are you insane? You ask me a question like that, but I'm more gracious than that. Seriously, I mean, pastors come and ask me, how come the people left? I want to say, man, I've been around your circles for a while and you've lost 200 people. And now you're talking about the people that left me, like I'm a failure. Go and ask Paul, why did you have to say at the end of your life, I have nobody left, only Timothy, the rest of these guys, this is their God, their gut, what they want. Jesus, you failure, at the end of your life, they all deserted you. You know that I'm saying that carefully. He's never failed in a single thing. But please, I'm trying to get... Don't live in all this stuff. 
the church Jesus is, you've got to help your church to see this, your people, every one of them, the kids, the old grannies and grandpa, those that are almost senile, help them to see it. Not only as family do we love each other and we can't choose who we want, but all of us are heirs of the Father and joint heirs with the Son. Can you imagine everything God's made available to Jesus is available to us in Christ? We're heirs, family, family that people, the church need, yeah, people need to hear. They're all heirs. Not all air, a lot of them are hot air, but. <laughs> another one quickly, another face. <laughs> this is taking too long. <laughs> We're an army. The, the church Jesus building is an army. And do you know what an army is for? It, it's not just peacetime. An army is there to fight. And as that individual is a living stone in the body of Christ, I've been given all the armor that I need to fight. And when we put all of us together as the army of God, all of us put together with the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sheet, feet shod with, etc., etc., the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Man, there we are. We can fight and stand against the devil. We used to sing a song when I was still in Bryanston. I haven't heard it sung for years unless I'm singing it and sometimes when I'm lying in bed. Mighty warrior, dressed for battle, holy Lord of God, of Lord of He, commander-in-chief, bring us to attention, lead us into battle to crush the enemy, for he has no authority here in this place. He has no authority here, for this habitation was fashioned for the Lord's presence, no authority here. Man, we would mind. Listen to me. Young Dawn and Ian, you may remember, we would march out of the building. We would, I'm talking about hundreds of people. We would march across along the concrete highway where the Bryanston Church is. Buses would literally stop and watch us. What's going on here from our premier? We would march. The army, we would have these times on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night where we'd meet on the grounds and we would, when we had guys coming out, now we, I'm not saying go and do this, it just was new in those days, I'm talking about 1980 something, we would, we would have sure, we would, the whole bunch of us marching, seriously, without exaggeration, they're telling us two kilometers, nearly two kilometers away, over a mile away, they could hear us singing, army. People were coming. People would tell me, even when I was on the church on the hill here, people would come into the front after the meeting and say, I was driving past here, and God just told me, I've never even thought of God. Just felt I had to come inside here, and they get radically saved. We were fighting. We're an army. God's church is an army. Prayer, part of that prayer meeting needs to be the army of God rising up using the shield of faith on behalf of the people and the nation. Speaking the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, over the nation, proclaiming it. I still do this so often, I prophesy, God, Adelaide for Christ, 
It's called the city of churches, and it's, you can't find a real church. It's just all divided and political. I prophesy, Adelaide, the church, the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know when it'll all happen, but I'm never going to stop. God's taught me. I've got weapons. I'm a soldier. Not just a lover. Not just a brother and sister. Not just a praise or a worshiper. And those things can be warfare anyway. I'm telling you, man, we need to get back to where I'm trying to think of who it was. Hezekiah, one of those kings, got the guys out, put the musicians in the front, and they marched to war, praising, singing, using the instruments. Imagine a Sunday when the people of God feel this thing surge into them. I've seen it over and over and over again over 50 years. The thing just suddenly takes a hold of us. No one's stirring us up. I've not said, now let's get in and be the army. Just suddenly something moves upon us. And we just started, man, it's, the songs just break things. You know, this is warfare. An army. The Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. They loved not their lives even unto death, etc. And then we move on to the next one quickly. The church, another expression, is the bride. Hey, guys, am I boring you or are you getting stirred up in God? I'm going to go home tonight exhausted because I cannot sit down. Normally I sit down through the whole time or most of the time. I don't know. There's just something stirring in me, guys. I'm telling you, something is stirring, man. Really. Man. We're also a bride. We're not a, we're all these things, but the church of God, the church Jesus is building, is a bride. We're in preparation to be married to the Lamb, the great bridegroom for eternity. And so I, as a, as a leader, especially if I'm pastoring and having opportunities to preach around the world or whatever the case may be, we'll say, as some of you are, every time I stand up, I've got to look at these people and say, these people are going to be Christ's bride for eternity. And he's giving me the privilege and opportunity to help them to be a good bride. Now, if I had a daughter, God knew that I could never handle a daughter, so he didn't entrust me with one. <laughs> Because if I had a daughter, the first guy who looks at it, his brain, brains are going to be blown out. There's no, there would never have been a, a man good enough for my daughters if I had daughters. Never. Not even Dudley. <laughs> but if I had a daughter, I'd be teaching her what marriage is going to be like. I'd be trying to help her to see, prepare her for the man she's going to marry. You spoil your daughters, guys. Listen, if you've got daughters, or even your sons for that, you spoil them, give them to them all the time. There's never going to be a man that's going to be able to stay married to them and, be, and enjoy it. And I, and I want Jesus to enjoy his bride. Now, I know that I'm taking some of these things a little further than is really biblically right, but they, they illustrate the truth. We want to, we've been given the privilege of preparing people 
every person that ever comes into the church and responds to Jesus, we, can, we have the privilege of preparing them to be Christ's bride forever. You know, we have a very powerful picture in the Old Testament of eunuchs. The eunuch had to be certain parts of his body, body cut off so he could not touch the king's bride-to-be. Touch the king's bride-to-be. How dare we touch, rape his bride, use them for ourselves. We don't do it for sexual gratification, we do it for gratification, self-gratification. We use them, we abuse them. We take advantage of them. We can all, and have all let people down. I'm not talking about where it hasn't been intentional. I'm talking about where we sometimes deliberately just misuse people. Put ourselves at the front of the line when it comes to who receives a salary on the staff. Get rid of these 15 people so I can keep having a salary. I could go through the, the list. Do you listening to me, guys? See, this is the church Jesus is building. Got to break camp. Stop going around the same old mountain over and over and over again. You know, one of the things that Jesus, he's not going to let us off. We've got to learn. So you go around the mountain, and you think you've learned, and then you just drop it. And so, so he says, let's go around again. You know what? There's only the difference between a rut and a grave. You see, when you go around the mountain, you go on bush trail, you see the trails, they're getting deeper and deeper. Concentrate. The only difference between a rut and a grave is depth. You're listening to me? Same old mountain, same old mountain, getting deeper and deeper, soon it's a grave. Church, so-called, never Christ church, the church, becomes a grave. Now you say, Dudley, you're exaggerating. Oh, well, maybe I am, I don't know. I'm trying to make a point, though. You say, well, Jesus will never, let that, never let, let that happen. Well, why does he let some people go? If they don't want to serve him. I want to tell you, while I'm not, and it is time to break now, while I'm not fully just a Calvinist, once saved, always saved, totally, I want to tell you it is, even if you want to be the extreme Arminian, you've got to be honest. If you really save, you've got to be honest in saying it is pretty difficult to ever become unsaved. Man, he just does not let go easy. So I hope none of those theological stances throw any of you. I'm both. And I know which one I want to tend towards the most, but I just believe the Bible, the whole Bible, not my favorite verses, not the verses that suit me, but the whole Bible. And I think it would be a good thing if you do too. In actual fact, more than good, it's essential that all of God's people take all of God's word and believe all of God's word, even when it doesn't suit us. Because every truth in the Bible, there seems to be at least two mountain peaks of that truth.
to just to choose the mountain peak I like is you're in trouble. I believe all these theologies, but I believe them together. Most people choose them one or the other. I cannot explain it. I believe that when God gets a hold of you, I believe that God wants all to be saved. I believe that with all my heart. The Bible tells me that. It's not the will of the Father. One should perish, all should come to repentance. God who will have all men to be saved. But I also believe. Whosoever will. And that God predestined some. And I don't know how to... I cannot reconcile truth to where it fully satisfies me because I'm not God. And God is taking things we understand to try and help us to see truths, but he's never trying to make us get it all reconciled so we're quite happy. Well, I'm happy with that. I don't think that God will ever allow us to be where we have a theology where it's all totally worked out. Because even when we get to heaven, we will still be learning. That's the God I serve. He is so big, so great, so awesome, so holy, so all-sufficient, so all-everything, that in my lifetime I'll never know it all. And I've got all of eternity to find more, enjoy more, go deeper. It's all there. Let's stand. Before I pray, I just want to say this. Sometimes when I get to what I'm just ended off with, it throws some people into a spin, into a wobble. And they're so struggling to try and get to grips with it that they start losing out on what God wants to do. Don't let the devil do that to you. If you don't like my theology on that, just say, I'm convinced enough from the Word of God that that's not true, but I'm still going to learn the rest. And when you get to heaven one day, you'll say, well, he was right. (laughs) Oh, Father, we thank you that you're so good to us. What a wonderful, wonderful Father. The how much more shall your heavenly Father, Father, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our, our children, and I know as a father what I would do anything for my kids, even die for them, I'd do anything. i try to rescue them. I'm there for them no matter what. That, if we then being evil, how much more shall you, our Heavenly Father, give to us? Good gifts, the Holy Spirit, all of life, everything. The how much more, Father, we thank you that you are for us. And if God be for us, then actually who can be against us? If you did not spare your one and only begotten Son, how will you not... In him and with him and through him, give us all things to enjoy. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, bless the food that these folk will be eating. Those that prepared it for us, we thank you that they're there, that they're serving us. For every person that's serving us for this church, Kingdom Life, for the church that we're in this building, the guys that from this Baptist church, we thank you for all their contributions, everything they're doing. Bless them all, we pray. 
keep your hand on them and just reward them, not because they did it, we enjoy it, but God, just reward them. Bless them. Let them reap a hundredfold, every last one, and the minimum of a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen.